Well, good morning. Oh, that's pretty lame. Good morning. Hey, it's good to see you up here. Normally, I'm out there on Sundays. We kind of sit back in here, but uh, I think the last time I had the privilege of being able to speak to you was back in August. You may or may not remember that I uh, coach high school softball, and we were starting our softball season, and uh, I said, Daniel, I can do it here, but then I'm, 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 I'm out for like three months. There's just no way. Uh, so it's great to be back with you today. <clears throat> when we were driving home last night... <clears throat> I noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, but I noticed there were like hardly any Christmas lights still lit. Have you noticed that? I don't know about you, but I always find that kind of depressing after having all the lights and all the Christmas. And what we're going to think about today is we're going to continue the Christmas time today because you may or may not be aware of the fact that today is what's known as Epiphany Sunday in the Orthodox Christian Church calendar. And Epiphany uh, is the 12th, actually tomorrow is Epiphany Day, it's the 12th day after Christmas. And Epiphany comes from the Greek word, which means manifestation, or it means appearance. And in our Christian heritage, in our Christian history, the manifestation of the divine nature of Jesus is the Epiphany. And what... um, commemorates this time is when the wise men came, they followed the star, and the wise men came, and they met Jesus for the first time. And it was their epiphany, their appearance of the divine. And in many, many cultures, epiphany is a big deal. It's a really big deal in in a number of different cultures around the world. In fact, it's oftentimes celebrated with a feast. And the feast would include rice and beans and corn. And I don't know if you're like me, I'm thinking, that doesn't sound like much of a feast to me. I mean, a feast to me is like Christmas or Thanksgiving with turkey and ham and potatoes and mashed potatoes and, and, and pie. You know, you got to have pie at the end. And uh, it also symbolizes uh, not only a, a feast, but it, there's also a, many times a parade that, that is associated with the celebration of Epiphany. And let me ask you this quick question. Um, have you taken your Christmas decorations down yet? Many of us, I'm seeing a lot of no's, and I'm seeing yeses. Well, in many cultures around the world, they think it's bad luck to take your Christmas decorations down before Epiphany. Now, personally, I don't believe in bad luck. I don't believe in luck, but we decided to keep ours up this year until Epiphany, which is tomorrow. So so today we're going to Uh, think about Epiphany. I realize that in our Colorado culture, Epiphany probably is not a very big deal. Uh, But what I want us to do is, I want us to pull out some lessons from God's Word in the only, one and only place in the Scripture where we read about the wise men coming to Jesus. And that's in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I want us to see their Epiphany and think about what our epiphany might be. So let's look at God's word in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of God. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, 
and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called, the, uh, called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets has written. The prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of the people of Israel, of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is God's word to us. Well, as we look at this text, at a quick glance we see these wise men. And they follow the star that appears to them. And I want you to see real carefully, they are the ones who are doing the following of the star. But it is God who provided the star for them to follow. And so the first thing that I want to draw from this, the first takeaway from this text is follow the star. The wise men, the text say, say were from the east. They were probably from Persia or they were possibly from southern Arabia or Mesopotamia. And they realized that God reached out to them via this star. And I want you to see, God reached out to these people far away from his chosen people, the covenant people of Israel, to these wise men in the east. And it's symbolic that God reaches out to everyone, not just to a certain group of people, but to everyone with this good news about the Savior Jesus. And he does so in a way that may be different that they might anticipate. They possibly were looking for God in this particular way, but God comes to them in a different way. He comes to them through the, the vision of a star. Now, tradition tells us that these wise men were astrologers or astronomers. They were students of the stars. They recognized there was something different about this star. And so they decided to follow it. I want you to see that God gave them this star as a means to draw them closer to him and to recognize the revelation that the Savior, the Messiah, has come. We see in the second verse of our text that the men somehow knew that this baby 
had been born king of the Jews. And I want you to see carefully, Jesus did not become king of the Jews. The text says they recognized and realized he had been born king of the Jews. He was the one who was the promised Messiah to come. And I want you to see that God had this plan of salvation that included everyone, not just the people that they expected, the Jews, but included the wise men, and it's symbolic if it included everyone. They came to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the hub, the center of everything for the Jewish world. And what I want you to see is the Jews were oblivious to the fact that the Messiah had come. The wise men, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they recognized this is the king of kings. But those right in the middle of it all in Jerusalem, those who had all the history of the covenant people and their relationship and connection with God, they were oblivious to it. In the third verse, we see that King Herod, when he finds out this, he's disturbed. And not only he's disturbed, but if you look carefully, it says, and all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Now, wouldn't one think that if you had been waiting for decades and centuries for the Messiah to come, you would be excited to hear that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords had arrived finally? Wouldn't you think that they'd be excited? No, 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 no. They were disturbed. They were troubled. Have you ever noticed that sometimes something so special is right in front of you and you don't even realize it? In our second church, we were in Florida at the time. We lived on the Gulf Coast of Florida between, across the bay from Tampa between Clearwater and St. Petersburg. And then we went to Rapid City, South Dakota. God has a really good sense of humor. And while we were in Rapid City, uh, we had a young couple come to our church from the Air Force Base that was eight miles out of town, and their name was Dave and Liz. And they were a fun couple. They were a funny couple. And we got to know them very well because they, they joined in our small group. And we did all of our holidays together because all of us that were in the small group had all been displaced from our own homes, and we had nobody, so we had each other. So we did Christmas, and we did Thanksgiving, and we did Easter, and we did Fourth of July. We did all of our holidays. Well, Dave was in the Air Force, and our base at that point was B-1 bombers, and he was not a pilot, but he was in the back seat do doing all the whiz stuff in the back seat. And he was a captain when he came. Great guy, very down-to-earth, he became one of our elders in our church. And we were privileged to have them for a, a long time in Air Force terms. They were with us about six years, which is pretty amazing because usually they get shipped out sooner. But he continued to increase in rank, and then he became a major, and they sent him to major school. And then from there, he went to Europe, and he, he worked with NATO. And then from there, he came back to Rapid City. He became second in command of a squadron and then became a squadron commander. And then he went to the War College 
and he became a colonel. And he came back to Rapid City again, and then he went to a, a large base in Texas where he became what's known as the Wing King. And if you know anything about Air Force, that's the person who's in charge of the whole base. It was a big base. And so one time, Kathy and I decided we'd go visit them. Uh, and so we, we traveled to Texas, and we came to the place at the main gate. There's a big uh, billboard that says, uh, Colonel David so-and-so welcomes you to Dias Air Force Base. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, we just knew him as David, and, and Colonel David Bean, and so on and so forth. And so we pull up to the gate, and you have to clear you know, all the things, uh, security and that sort of thing. And we said, well, we're here to see Colonel David so-and-so. And they said, it's like, they almost like came to attention, like, oh, we've been waiting for you. Here, let us escort you to his home. And I thought, wow. And as we visited, that's kind of how it was. He literally was treated kind of like a king. And then from there, he went on to the Pentagon. And then uh, our daughter Beth and I had the privilege of going when he became a general. And he's retired now, <clears throat> but he is still general so-and-so. And I think what kind of struck me was, to us, he was just David. But to everybody else, he's general so-and-so. That's kind of what it was like for Jesus when he was born. To those in his midst, he was just another baby boy in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. And yet... He was far more, wasn't he? The wise men knew. They didn't know a lot about God. They weren't, weren't people of faith in the Jewish faith. They didn't, they didn't have this history with God. But they knew there was something very special about him. The text continues, and it says that in verse 9, that when they got to the place where the star rested, it rested over a house. Now, I want you to realize, and it takes a little thinking, but, you know, when we think of Christmas, we think of the manger scene, and we think of the, 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 the sheep and the goats and all the animals, and then the, the kings come, right? Well, in reality, it's a little different from a scriptural standpoint. These wise men, who are probably a lot like kings, they had come from a long, long distance away. They had traveled many miles, many months, possibly a year or more to get to the baby Jesus. And so when they arrive, they don't arrive at the manger. They arrive at the house in which he and his mother and father lived. The star stops over the house, and they get to the house we see in verse 10, and they are overjoyed. What about you and me? Are we following the star today? Are we guided and instructed in our life by God's word? Are we doing what we believe God is calling us to do and leading us to do right now? Or are we just sort of doing what we want to do? Are we overjoyed like the wise men when they came and they saw the baby Jesus? 
Are we overjoyed with our journey of life right now? I realize that some of us may be in a really tough place right now, and we're not too thrilled about it. We're not overjoyed. But on the whole, are we overjoyed with where we're going in life? I think the first takeaway from this text is we need to follow the star. I think the second uh, takeaway is this, that we need to worship the king. For you see, that's exactly what the wise men did, as we see in verse 11 of our text. As soon as they saw the king, as soon as they saw this baby Jesus and they were overjoyed, what did they do? They bowed down and they worshipped him. Now, I want you to try to get the realistic picture of this. These are prominent people in their society. These are people of wealth and prominence. They're probably a lot like kings. And they come to this baby and they bow down and they begin to worship him. They recognized that the baby Jesus was worthy of worship. Because he was already the king of kings and the lord of lords. He was already the promised one that had come to the people. So do we worship the king? Or, on the other hand, are we kind of waiting for him to prove himself to us? To fulfill our dreams. And and if our dreams and desires are not fulfilled, do we still worship him? You know, I I fear that there are a, a sizable number of people who want God to be the way that we want him to be and think that he should be. And if he is not, we have some real questions and doubts about him. The wise men could not have known a great deal about God. But still, they humbled themselves to worship him. And they brought gifts. Gifts that in that day and that age would be brought to a king or to a deity. They brought gold, a precious metal. They brought frankincense and incense. And they brought myrrh and anointing oil. And then the text concludes in verse 12 and reminds us that God came to the wise men in a different mode. First it was the star. Now this time he came to them in a dream. And God said to them, don't go back to Herod. He has ulterior motives. Although he said that I want to come and worship the the baby, just like you did. No, no, if you continue to read in the text, in verse 16 of the second chapter of Matthew, it makes it clear. He wanted to eliminate his competition. He was trying to wipe out every baby boy under the age of two in the town of Bethlehem. And so God brings this message and said, don't go back the way that you came, but go back a different way. And so they did. They went back a different way. Friends, worship in the Christian life today is important. And I want to challenge you. I always like a new year because it's sort of like you have an opportunity to have a a, sort of a clean slate, a new beginning, a new start. And so I want to challenge you as we begin, not just this new year, this new decade. I want to challenge you to be faithful in worship. 
for nearly 36 years, Kathy and I uh, pastored all around the country. And we've been retired almost three years now. And one of the things I've learned is I don't have to go to church every Sunday anymore. And there's only been a couple Sundays in the last three years since I've been retired that we missed. But what I've realized is, wow, this is what the rest of the world lives like. And, you know, I realize it's kind of like when I was in college, when you skip your first class, it gets easier to skip the second class or the third class or the fourth class. And I realized as I missed a couple Sundays over the last couple years, you know, once you miss, you think, hey, that was, you know, I could do this if I don't go to church. I could do this. You know, I used to have people in our church in Atlanta say, I worship on the golf course on Sunday morning. Okay, and I'd be willing to bet there are some that are saying right now as we're speaking, I'm worshiping on the slopes right now. Now, I'm not saying you can't worship there, but I'm saying caution. That's an easy trap to fall into because worship is a time where we can kind of have our spiritual batteries recharged. It's a time when we can connect with other people who are like-minded about faith issues. It's a time in which we can give praise and glory to God that is so valuable and important. So I want to encourage you, be faithful in worship as you start this new year. But you don't have to just worship here or in a building. You can worship other places too. I, uh, every day I take our year and a half old dog for a run. Now, let me clarify. He runs, I walk. Uh, I don't do the run thing anymore. But when I take him for a run, it's a great time. There's no one else except... Him and me, and it's a great time of worship and prayer. You can worship in other places besides here on Sunday morning, but I want to encourage you, make worship a priority because other things will come in the way if you allow them. The third takeaway is this. Treasure the message. I think it's safe to say that the wise men had this realization that this child, this king of kings, was God in the flesh. And that was their epiphany. That was their manifestation of the divine. That was their realization. That's when the light bulb came on for them. And it changed their life forever. You know, they had a long, long journey there through desert, through mountains, months, and miles. But then they had a long journey back home. And that had to have taken an enormous commitment. Which leads me to my next question to you. How much effort are you willing to make to follow the star? To worship the king? How often do you think, I will follow, but I don't want to spend this much time or that much energy. I'll, I want it limited to this amount. You know, I think there's another lesson that we can learn from 
the, the wise men in this particular text, and that is that the message of God's love and salvation found in Jesus Christ alone is worth the time and the effort and the commitment that we make to him. I want to encourage you to push back from the urgencies of life because you know what? They can take over and focus and make a commitment to daily study of God's word, to daily praying with God, to seeking him and guidance on a daily basis. That's what commitment calls for. It's a daily thing. And I believe that if we make that kind of a commitment, just as the wise men had an experience of epiphany, so will we have that same experience of epiphany, of that aha moment. So, let's get a little practical. How does one recognize or discern the voice or the guidance of God? You know, in our society, the word epiphany basically has come to mean that we have an aha moment. And oftentimes that aha aha moment leads to a change in our life, a new direction, something different. So let me give you a couple epiphanies in my life as examples. When we were in Florida in the early 90s, I had gone there as an associate pastor, and the the lead pastor retired, and I functioned as the lead pastor, but I knew that I couldn't become the lead pastor just because of the rules of our denomination, and so we started thinking and looking for another opportunity of service someplace else. And we were praying through that, and we were talking to a number of different churches all across the country, and we began talking to this church in South Dakota in Rapid City, and uh, honestly, I had no idea where Rapid City, South Dakota was other than I figured it was below North Dakota someplace. You know, I knew it was out there somewhere. I just didn't have a clue. And to give you an idea, Rapid City is almost 2,000 miles away from where we were in Florida. And so we uh, began talking with them, and I interviewed with them, and uh, just didn't have a sense of direction of what was God's leading and where, where were we to go. And so I can specifically remember driving to the hospital one day to visit someone. And to give you perspective, we were between Clearwater and St. Petersburg, Florida. And in our county, we had nearly a million people. Okay, a lot of, a lot of population. And I'm driving down this busy road. There's two lanes going this way, two lanes going this way. And I come to a stoplight, and I stop, and I'm praying, God, would you, would you show me, would you show us the clear direction of what you want? We, we want to do what you want us to do. And I look up, and there's a pickup truck in front of me with a bumper sticker that said, Reptile Gardens, Rapid City, South Dakota. I, this is not a, it's a true story. And I'm thinking, okay. I'm praying about where to go, and I'm talking to these people, and okay, I got the message. Now, they hadn't offered me the position, but at that point, I knew that's where we were going. It's kind of interesting, the people who founded Reptile Gardens and the people who were the owners, they were members of our church in South Dakota. And we spent 12 good years, great years in South Dakota. 
that was one of those aha moments, those epiphanies that like changed the course of our life from obviously from Florida to South Dakota. That's a major shift. Let me give you one more epiphany in, in our life. Uh, we were trying to discern the timing of our retirement. We've been in ministry a long time. Uh, it had been great. Loved our work and felt very fulfilled in it, but was sort of like, okay, it's time to shift to retirement uh, because we'd kind of always thought somewhere around 62 we'd, we'd kind of finish that stage and go to the next stage. And so we're praying about the timing. And, and I always kind of had this thought in my mind that I wanted to fulfill the program year, which started in, in Florida or in, in Georgia. It started like in August and it would go through uh, June, kind of the school year. I thought I, I, that would be a good, good end, right? Um, past the 62nd birthday, go to June, call it quits and do something different. And so, but we're kind of struggling over that. And I remember we went to our favorite restaurant in our town, which is known as Peachtree City, Georgia. And uh, it's a small restaurant. It was really crowded. The, all the tables were full. The only place to sit was at the bar, which we, we don't usually do, but we thought, it's the only spot, so we went and sat in the bar. And I can just see us. We're sitting at the bar, we're talking, and we're talking about the potential of timing of retirement. We knew we were going to do it. We weren't sure when. And um, we started talking about how we had a great staff. It was complete staff. We didn't have any holes. We didn't have any spots where we didn't have anybody in the, in the particular staff position. They were all doing a great job. We had a, a very, very gifted um, associate pastor who preached exceptionally well, we thought, the staff is complete. And when you're in a church like we were in and even here, you realize uh, it's not too often you have a full staff all at one time because someone's always coming and someone's always going. We thought, they're all here. And if we wait till June, somebody may leave. And then we got to try to find somebody to fill that spot. And da da We thought, aha. We don't have to wait till June to retire. Let's just do it after my birthday in February, and we'll call it a day. And that's what we did. And it's worked great. We all have those moments. But the question is, do we see them? Do we recognize them? What are some of your epiphanies Maybe it was the moment when you had been worried about a health issue for some time and you've been struggling with that and it's the moment when you realize it's time to go to a doctor and try to figure this out. Maybe your epiphany was at that moment when you have been in a particular job for some period of time and it's not fulfilling and you don't really like it and you're not happy in it but you're just doing it and you're saying, all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute. Maybe it's time to test the waters someplace else. Or maybe it's even time to shift and change careers. Maybe that was your epiphany. Maybe your epiphany or your aha moment was when you were in the middle of this struggle of a relationship and you have been struggling and struggling and struggling to make it work and make it work and make it work. And you realize at that particular moment, it's not going to work. Or let's reverse it. Maybe you've been in, we're in a relationship and 
And you realize at this one given moment, like, oh my, this is the person I've been waiting for. This is the person I've dreamed about. And the aha moment is, it's time to be all in. It's time to take the next step to marriage. I don't know what your epiphany moment or your aha moment was. But sometimes I think we miss them out of fear. Fear of change. Could it be that God is nudging you, kind of pushing you out of your comfort zone to experience an adventure that will change your life? You know, sometimes I think the aha moments come to us via someone else's advice. And sometimes they come to us from that person when we, we really don't want to hear their advice. Now, I know that many of you probably would not admit this, but I'm going to be a little vulnerable and a little transparent here. Kathy and I, uh, over the past holiday season, have watched a number of Hallmark Countdown to Christmas movies. Now, let me just say, as the girls on my softball team would say, no judgment here, okay? But we kind of like good news endings. But here's something that we realize. For a two-hour movie, five minutes in, we can kind of figure out where this is going. You have a guy, and you have a woman. And we have kind of figured out that at some point, they're going to realize they're soulmates and get together. The problem is, it takes two hours in that movie to get to that point. Because it takes that guy and that woman that long, five minutes usually, four sometimes, right before the end of the movie, to figure out, aha, we're supposed to be together. And yet, interspersed throughout the movie, oftentimes there are other people who are trying to help them fill in the gaps. So my question is this. Is there someone that's trying to speak in to your life? Trying to say something to you, and are you listening? Or let me take it a step farther. Is God trying to speak into your life in some area? And are you listening? You know, as we begin this new year, it's a great time of self-reflection because it's a time to kind of have a fresh start. It's a time to have sort of a new beginning. And oftentimes, we put those into resolutions, like I'm going to do this amount of exercise, or I'm going to do this with regard to my eating habits, or I'm going to stop this particular bad habit. Um, and all that's good. But I want to give you a challenge today. I want you to ask yourself this question. What is God saying to me today? What epiphany is he trying to get into my brain and into my being? You know, the epiphanies of life are here. 
We just oftentimes miss them. But I think that we can see them if first we look for them. Second, when we look for them, we see them. And third, then we respond to them. So what is God saying to you today? Is there an area in your life that you need to take the next step in? What does that look like? How might that change your life? Finally, how do you mark those defining aha messages or moments? I'm kind of old school. I, I like to write it down, either in a prayer journal or someplace. I like to write it down so that I can go back and remember it because at my stage of life, I can forget it just like that. And maybe if you're younger, you don't use pen and paper anymore. You just do this with your phone or your tablet, and that's fine too, whatever works for you. But I want to challenge you to write it down, to mark it so that you can help remember it. You see, the wise men, they follow the star, and they worshiped the king, and they treasured the message. But none of that would have happened had they not looked, had they not saw, and had they not responded to the star. You know, we're going to come and take communion here. And communion is that gift of God to share together as the body of Christ in the sacrifice that he's made on your behalf and mine. And this juice and this bread, they recognize, or they symbolize rather, the, the blood that was shed for us and his body that was broken for us. And so as you take this, I want to encourage you to go back to your seat and take just a moment to reflect a little bit. And to ask yourself, God, what are you saying to me today? How is it you want to guide me? What is it you're trying to get through to me about? And I want to encourage you to look, to see, to respond. Because God has an adventure for you, a great adventure for you in 2020. I don't know what it is, but he does. So look and see and then have the courage to respond. You know, the key is this. The wise still seek him. Join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the signs and the symbols that you give to us. We thank you for those epiphanies, those aha moments. Help us to see them. Help us to get a clear direction of what you have for us, and where you'd have us go, and what you'd have us do. Give us courage to respond and to follow. Pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.